Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad podcast, the weekly podcast where I discover through fascinating conversations with people living an international lifestyle and relocation experts what it really takes to thrive abroad. I'm your host, Louise Wiles, an expat, repat, author and change and transition coach, and I'm fascinated by the world of international mobility and cross-cultural living. And a very warm welcome to episode 88. I'm really glad that you're here joining me today. So we've had a little break these past six weeks, but I'm back as we head into the summer with a new series focused on nurturing expat well-being. Now today we're going to be talking about digital well-being. More about that in a moment. But first, a call out. Now, I've noticed as I've listened to corporate and organisational global mobility teams around the world that as a result of the pandemic, wellness and well-being has shot up their priority lists in terms of their focus and attention. Now, as you probably know, many of the episodes on this podcast over the past year have been devoted to supporting you and your well-being in challenging times. And I'm wondering how you're doing. I'm really interested to understand your experiences of the past year, the challenges faced and strategies that you have used to help maintain your well-being through uncertain times. Now, if you'd like to share your experiences, stories, insights, expertise, strategies as part of upcoming episodes on this podcast, then please get in touch. Email me, louise at louisewiles.com. I'd love to hear your stories. Or you can go to the contact page on the Thriving World website and contact me through that point. Now, your participation can range from anonymous commentary that I insert into an episode to full participation as a guest and anything in between. I want to use this podcast as a space for your voices. My vision is to build an understanding of the impact these challenging times have had on the well-being of internationally mobile people around the world and how you're all coping and working to overcome the challenges and, where possible, embrace the opportunities. So please do get in touch, louise at louisewiles.com or go to the contact um, page on the Thriving Abroad website. So on to today's episode. Now this is an invitation for you to consider your relationship with technology. Now our international lives are greatly facilitated by the massive digital advances of recent years and technology has been key enabling to us to maintain and retain connection during the pandemic. But if you are like me, it can be a bittersweet relationship. Often I wonder who is in control as I scroll through the latest notifications. And as I read Heidi's book and chatted with her in this conversation, I realised I have work to do and I'm intrigued. I wonder what you will think when you listen to. I also realise there are interesting parallels between how we live and adjust to new technologies and our transition to international living. Here are just a few thoughts that occurred. I wonder if you see similar parallels. We need to embrace the new, not fear it. It's a good idea to let go of aspects of the old that no longer serve us and to find a balance between the new and the old. And as we get to know the new, it's important to think about how we integrate the new in a way that will 
not overwhelm us. It's always helpful to take time out to recharge our batteries and, of course, our phones. And it definitely helps to have clarity about what we want to achieve with the new. And we need to avoid addiction and know that when it's time to go, then we need to learn to let go. You know, technology is something that both facilitates and frustrates our lives. It's also something that can be taken for granted. So I invite you to listen to this conversation and ask, how can I develop a better relationship with the technology that supports my lifestyle? I hope you enjoy the conversation. Remember, you can go to thrivingabroad.com, look for episode 88 and download the transcript or read the transcript there. And if you sign up for the newsletter, I'll send you the full show notes for this episode. Hello and welcome, Heidi. It's great to have you joining the Thriving Abroad podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Louise. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, We're going to be talking about technology and I kind of have in my mind that I'd like to talk about it in sort of two ways. How we can thrive through this sort of never-ending evolution and development from a technological perspective, but then also how we can use technology to help us thrive through transition, in in particular international sort of mobility and and relocation. Um, but before we get into sort of those questions and that, that I would love you to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, perhaps you could share a bit about your international background because I know you have quite an international sort of internationally mobile life um, and then also tell, tell us how you got to be doing what you're doing and your work focusing on digital um, mastery and technology. Sure. Um, well, so I guess to start with um, I'm a sort of a geek at a young age and we're talking you know mid 80s I'm that old um, but uh, so I got to play with uh, with computers very early and my, my school was one of the first that got the Apple IIe's and I got kind of hooked early yeah. early um, but I wasn't in the programming I mean I did programming in the beginning but um, but it was really more just I loved the ability to to use computers to I mean back then it was creating banners and silly things like that but to really uh, to have fun and to be able mm-hmm. to connect people and things. So that was really sort of the first instigation for that for me. I grew up, uh, I was I was born in the States, um, in New England, and, uh, and lived there until I was about uh, 17, 18. And um, really got my first taste of uh, living abroad, uh, when I studied abroad in Austria for a year and got completely hooked, um, did sort of the classic, got to get a URL pass and see as much and as many places as possible. And it really gave me a sense of uh, being part of something bigger than myself and, and wanting to engage with that. And I uh, ended up doing my studies in international affairs and international marketing strategy, um, ended up going back and studying again in Brussels and uh, really, you know, working over in Europe for, uh, for about 10 years. And of course, as I was uh, finishing up a job there, um, 
I was working for Chrysler Europe, actually setting up their uh, internet strategy, which is, this was back in the days when it was a question of whether you want to register a URL or not. So we were arguing, my argument was you need to register everything, Chrysler dot, you know, whatever. Um, So it was, you know, it was way back when, and yet it was a really exciting time to be involved with um, setting up systems to help people collaborate better and to connect better. And, um, and uh, that job finished up because I was a contract worker. And uh, as anybody who knows the story about Chrysler Daimler, uh, Daimler and Chrysler sort of merged, but really they sort of bought into them. Um, But my job disappeared. And so I came back to the States to look at how can I use what I learned to, uh, to help American companies come abroad versus the other way around mm-hmm. um, and ended up sort of finding a, a, actually a great job in Germany instead. And so I, I moved back. But while I was back in that brief period, I happened to meet my husband who's Swedish. So it was sort of this random, you know, <laughs> he was in the US and I was sort of coming back and forth. Anyway, long, yeah. long story short, we ended up <laughs> getting married, moving back to Europe um, and have sort of bounced back and forth between those two worlds and really raising our children as global citizens as a result and really using technology to keep that continuity in both our lives and our relationships with our extended networks and communities. And, um, and over the years, uh, worked in so- I worked in social strategy, building tools to, to really um, help people network better and share resources, was very involved in, uh, in women's mentoring programs for startups and, um, and really just helping them understand how they can grow to larger markets using technology and, um, and ended up sort of doing that for, you know, for 20 years and really loved it, you know, sort of working in that space, mm-hmm. but, um, but found that, you know, once it had finally gotten momentum where companies were actually putting social strategy as a priority, I sort of felt like my work was done there. It was sort of, I, you know, I'd carried that flag and I really wanted to do something more. So I went back and did my PhD to really understand the behavioral science behind it um, and behind, and to understand how, how it works and and why it works and the importance of developing those relationships. And during that time is when I really started learning more and getting very fascinated by digital well-being. And by that being on the much bigger perspective, it's not just sort of the Google app of digital well-being, which came along later, but really looking at the human relationship with technology and how we engage with it and how we can use technology to enhance our ability to be more human rather than having it become a disruptor. And, um, and that's really where the digital self work became, you know, evolved. Um, the, my digital self mastery series that I wrote was really, uh, it came out of some of the findings from my dissertation, but also just from my experience of watching how people apply technologies and that some of the things that they struggle with, but also some of the successes along that journey. So sorry, long, long answer to your question, but hopefully that gave you a little bit of a, a flow of sort of where that background came from. No, absolutely it did. And, and um, okay, so uh, lots of questions in my mind from that introduction, but let's just start with that digital mastery and, and your book, because I've read your book 
and um, it really actually did achieve hopefully what you set out for your book to achieve because it made me think about my relationship with technology which I had really never thought about before um, and actually to my shame I kind of realized I had a bit of a I have a bit of a childish relationship with it in that um, it's fine when it's all going well but when it goes wrong I lose it completely and I don't actually think really carefully about how I interact and use it so I, I've got a lot of lessons I took quite a lot from that book and it's made me think so I'm really interested to to for you perhaps you could give me a bit of a coaching <laughs> session live about this but um let's just just for the audience's um benefit can you just describe what you mean by digital self-mastery because you talk about balance so perhaps talk a bit about what that looks like um and what it looks like when it's you're not in balance Sure. Well, so, I mean, as, as we've all experienced, balance isn't something that is continuous. We don't mm. always have balance. We're always a little bit, you know, we, we have moments of balance and then we have periods where we feel overwhelmed and, and there's other periods where we're sort of feeling, I don't, I don't know, the best way I can describe it is sort of those periods where you have too much free time and you get nothing done because you have too much free time, you know, no yeah. one's ever experienced yeah. that, I'm sure. Nah. No, anyway, no, no, no. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, we really look at it on a, on a scale of sort of, the, you know, from the people that are so afraid to use technology, the, this fear and anxiety that, that unfortunately we're living in an age where pretty much everything is connected, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're afraid to actually use the technology, it limits your capabilities in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And then the whole other end of the spectrum where you're, we're talking about extreme addiction. So, mm -hmm. and, and when I say addiction, it's really, it is more on the absolute extreme in this, in this context. So there you're talking about, um, you know, the case studies where you have the video gamers who wear a diaper so they don't have to separate themselves from their computer. They can play for 24 hours straight and never get up from their seats. Is that true? Gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. No, I mean, there's these crazy, and there you're talking, that's more on, uh, uh, you know, on a psychological, it's, mm -hmm. it's that trigger. And people that tend to get to, to that extreme also tend to have other addictions. It's, it's more the addictive personality that takes it to that extent. So mm -hmm. we're talking very extreme um, sides of the pendulum. The balance is right in the middle. And we often are sort of teetering between those pieces that are just above and just below. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's there's others that are sort of, you know, so that the scale is actually, you know, seven steps. So there's you know, there's also times where, you know, you start to get really comfortable with technology and you want to play and you maybe start, you know, fear of missing out. You want to try all the new tools and all the, all the great options. And then mm -hmm. you get overwhelmed with spending all your time, time trying to figure those things out, but you don't actually get your work done. So you lose productivity there as well. On the other side where you're sort of, you know, you're dabbling a little, but not taking the time to actually learn the technologies. And so although you have access, you're sort of, you're, you're not taking the step to really mm -hmm. actually utilize them. And that balance piece is when you actually find the right tools, you've gotten rid of the things that aren't effective for you. You're 
you know, you're willing to take on some new technologies as they come along, but you're taking the time to learn them properly. But when you do that, you're also eliminating the things that overlap. Because as we've all seen, as new technologies roll out, there are things that are overlapping. And so you have multiple ways of accessing your messages, multiple ways of accessing your mail, multiple mm. ways of accomplishing all kinds of things. Mm. And, and so to, you know, to be able to take the time and set into sort of routines and creating proper boundaries so that we're actually able to use technology in the way that it was intended for us mm -hmm. to use mm -hmm. rather than it sort of running our lives because we're spending all this time trying to figure out, you know, sort of where's that ping coming from you know? <laughs> or that vibration in your pocket. There's really not a vibration, but it's just that sensation of, I must be missing something. Yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard and it's constantly changing because technology is constantly mm. changing mm. and we have to adapt and, and not everybody is that agile. And mm. so it takes, it, it takes really a conscious effort to be aware of how we respond to those different triggers. And that's really where the balance comes from is doing engaging with technology in a very conscious way so that we recognize when we feel overwhelmed or we recognize where we feel like, wait a minute, I'm not getting the things done that I need to get done. Why? What is it? And then maybe doing what I call sort of a digital elimination diet where you like, you get rid of everything that's not absolutely critical for you to function. Now that, mm -hmm. you know, that's not, taking a tech detox in the sense that some people say where they're like, okay, I'm not going to have my phone. I'm not going to have my computer. I'm going completely offline. I'm going to go sit in a cabin for a week. That's a different experience. Mm. I'm talking about, you know, just identifying what's absolutely crucial for you to function and then slowly adding things back in to see how you respond to them and see where they fit in with the requirements of what you need to get done so that you can really be aware of what's happening. And so you need to do sort of like a spring cleaning, if you will, every once in a while, you know, and along with that, you know, you, you need to take care of your devices in that same way. And that's everything from, you know, spring cleaning. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I'm like, why is my phone running slowly? And then you realize, wait a minute, I've got like 30 apps running at the same time, you know, and have I used any of these apps recently? No, I'm only using the top five. It's just that you would open something and forgot, forgotten yeah. to close it. So yeah. it, it's remembering to, to clear off your desktop, clear off mm -hmm. your, your phone, but also shutting it off so that it can fully load all of the updates that are happening in the background. Yeah. yeah. And as you say that, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I really need to do that. Because I think, I think, I think also as you, when you rely on technology so much, as, as I do for work, you know, it's my, my, I have two computers and they're on most of the time, two Macs. And, you know, I'm using them and I'm moving between them quite a lot. And, and I, I always, I, I'm so often seeing there's an update. And I, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. And then um, tomorrow, and then when it crashes, I'll be very cross with it. But the reason it crashes is because I haven't done my updates. And so that really resonates with me. I suppose one thing that I'm thinking as you say all of that is, you know, for people who are relocating and moving and moving near their entire belongings and 
perhaps in a way they do experience a bit of a digital um, sort of gap space chance. Or, uh, I guess that's a natural point at which they could really spend a bit of time um, thinking about their relationship with all their tech and what's necessary, what's not. And um, yeah, do you find that? Do you find when you're moving around that you, you do that or? Well, I, yes. And I also, I mean, as a podcaster myself, it's one of those things of, okay, what do I absolutely need when I go to my next location? Mm. Am I going to be there for long enough that I'm going to be doing interviews from there? Will I need the technology necessary to make that happen? Mm. Or do I intentionally do tech heavy periods prior to the, you know, the times where I'm transitioning? So for example, we, you know, we have homes, in, in different countries then and when we move there's obviously different specs that we need in different places but it's also are we going to be there for two weeks or are we going to be there for two months and so mm. what I'm going to be doing during that time and you know is it a vacation time or am I going there and I'm just going to be you know working mm. um, so I often do for example I batch all of my podcast interviews so that I have them all in advance I actually take six weeks off every summer and I, you know, and that is, it's not tech free, but basically my phone becomes a phone and a camera for six weeks, right? <laughs> I'm not using it for very much else for six mm -hmm. weeks, mm -hmm. but I still mm -hmm. use it, obviously. Yeah. I, mean, I use it for booking yeah. tickets and all of those things, mm. but I'm not trying to you know, to do social media other than for occasionally posting and, mm. and, you know, I, I, you know, I check my mail, but even that, I, I really try to, at that point, use my computer for all of those things. And when I have mm -hmm. my phone with me, it's really just a communication tool mm -hmm. and a camera. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's really important. What I've identified for me is that I have such a tech heavy lifestyle mm -hmm. that when I'm, you know, when I'm on vacation, I need to actually take that break. Mm. And mm -hmm. I, you know, of course, need to bring my laptop with me because I need to continue my business. But mm -hmm. it's a very conscious decision when I have my a separate laptop. It's a very conscious decision of when I'm working. It's creating mm -hmm. those boundaries for when I'm working and when I'm not. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I put my, you know, my laptop can of course be moved around in my space, but I try to identify a space within that in that place. That is my workspace. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so that I'm not moving it around unless I absolutely need to, or if I'm watching a movie, you know, on my laptop, whatever. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. but it's really, you know, it's making those conscious decisions so that we can still, you know, engage as humans. We can still mm -hmm. do the things that we love to do and be with the people that we love to be being, rather than being driven by the pings and the, you know, the 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 constant sort of notification, sure, there's a new, a new bit of news that just launched. Like, is it that important for me to know right now? You know, can I, can it wait? And then I can, you know, choose to in the morning while I'm sipping my coffee, read the news on my laptop. So yeah, it's really for, for me, I think, uh, and for every person it's different. So I think that's really important to recognize is, you know, what, what works for you. I, I, make it very clear in all of my writing and my research that there is no one way or one tool that is perfect for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, some people need to be online more. Some people need to be offline more. 
Um, and, and some tools work really well for some people and others that is, you know, that is the worst trigger that they could possibly use. So they need mm -hmm. to find an alternate source or they need to delegate it to somebody, that task to somebody else that can mm -hmm. use that tool if that tool is absolutely essential. Um, and that's the beautiful thing with, uh, with, you know, technology and the fact that people are particularly after a year of pandemic where most people have finally sort of just gotten comfortable with being able to Zoom and being able to work remotely is that you can work with virtual assistants from around the globe so that you can get your work covered 24-7, but you don't physically have to be engaged in it 24-7. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's really finding that balance of what do you need to do uh, as an individual and what things can be delegated as well. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that that's the fantastic thing about technology, that there are so many options in that respect. Um, and it's funny because you say, you know, it's down to individual preferences. And so when at the beginning I was thinking, what am I getting wrong? You know, one of the things I, I always say no to is notifications. I just don't have notifications because I it drives me mad. So I just always say oh, notifications off. If I want to find out what's happening on various accounts, I actually go and look. Now that could be a bit of a waste of my time because I actually have to physically go to that platform and look, but it just keeps me sane and my inbox kind of controllable. Um, so that works for me. But as you say, it might not work for other people. Um, I'm really interested then as, as in terms of, you know, relocation, living abroad, what kind of tech hacks have you or do you use regularly that help you to manage everything? And are there any suggestions you can make to people who, you know, people who listen to this podcast are living internationally, are mobile? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that I, I love to use that I think is, um, you know, it's just folders. It's like just using organization tools that are available to you without ordering, you know, without having a new app or anything, you know, most smartphones give you the ability to put things into a folders. Mm -hmm. And so for I, I, for example, I have a folder on each of my, on each of my devices, but particularly on my phone, that is for the apps that are specific to each area that I go to on a regular basis, mm -hmm. so that I have all the local apps that I need when I come to that new location. So I have the bus yeah. app, I, so I can buy, buy my bus ticket. I have the, you know, the phone company app because I have the two, di two different SIM cards. So if I'm having an issue with my phone, I can, you know, dial into that right away. Mm -hmm. All, you know, the local, the local order line, if I want to order takeout food, you know, that that's different because there's different apps that are used in different markets. So. Mm -hmm. Little tools like that can make your life very much more simplified rather than if you, you know, if you have them all bunched together, that can be really challenging. And same with travel apps. I have a folder that's just travel apps for the airlines, another one that's just for trains, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. It just makes things a little bit easier because you know where to go to to get the information that you need instead of constantly having to scroll around and try to find it. Another tool that, um, that I love that I started using actually um, while I was doing my dissertation years ago, I started using it as a way to, when I was as a research tool for anytime I came across interesting things, I would put them in sort of, 
in buckets is, is the best way for me to describe it. Um, but, you know, in the old days, you know, when I did my undergrad, it was like you put them in a file folder. Well, thank goodness, like a physical file folder. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that anymore. So, um, you know, so I use Evernote, which I mean, that's just a tool that works really well for me. There are other some people use Google Docs. Um, I I particularly like Evernote because it's secure. And so that that works really well for me. Combination of Evernote and Dropbox, because sometimes it's, you know, a big file that I need. But if it's just taking notes, I have in Evernote, I have a, a file or a sort of a note taking thing for each city that I go to, even if I'm just visiting. And I put you know, the restaurants that I go to that I want to remember for next time or the shops where I bought a certain thing that I loved that I want to remember. And mm -hmm. it's just a way, it's like a brain dump for me because then it's like, okay, I can forget about it. But if somebody asks me, hey, well, you know, where'd you get that scarf? And it's like, oh, you know what? I think I found that in Istanbul and I really, it's this tiny little shop and, and oh, it's like, I just opened up my Evernote and I got, I got it from here. You know, but I don't have to remember that anymore. Little things like that, or, you know, you get a service, you find a service provider that you absolutely love. Um, you know, just being able to keep track of those things, those, mm -hmm. that, those are the things that can be really helpful to you and to your peers, which builds relationships and builds trust. It's sort of that, you know, we're, we're in the process for Global Nomad Hacks, our, our other podcast on, on collecting all of this data around the different products and services that we love and use to be able to share with our community. Cause people are always asking like, what do you use? Wait, you know, where, where did you find these things? And it's like, Oh, well, wait a minute. A lot of these organizations, like I would love to promote them and help them, mm -hmm. you know, help other people find them. And so we've been busy collecting between our team. Everybody's been collecting, sort of lists and then reaching out to the companies and developing affiliate uh, relationships with them so that it's win-win. We help share, you know, the, how people can find them and, and, you know, they either give us, you know, help us with, with getting a discount on our future products or, or they just, you know, or, or we, in some cases we get paid a small amount, which basically subsidizes the podcast. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. big amounts of money, but it's win-win for everybody. And they often will give a discount to our, you know, to the people that we send them to. So it's, you know, it's really learning how to use these systems that the technology enables you to do because being able to use a tracking code that we never were able to do before, it was like, oh, coupon, here's a physical coupon with a code on it. And then if you're lucky, somebody enters it into the database and you know, there's no way of tracking that relationship. Mm -hmm. And now we have this beautiful thing to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 and I, I I love that collating idea. And I suppose what you're saying is that you know it, technology is a means for us to collate information. And as you say that, I'm a terrible one for scribbling on pieces of paper. And I'm trying to educate myself to scribble into notes on so Word, but Evernote would be good. Mm. Here's another trick for you. So, um, so two things. One is well, I mean Evernote or whatever app you're using, you mm. can scan your notes. Yeah. Right? So mm -hmm. whenever I get invoice or anything like, you know, I pay parking, you know, pay for parking or whatever that I know this can be like, I just scan it. It's like, cause it used to be all those little pieces of paper. And then it's like, Oh God, where'd they go? What I know I wrote it down and you know, you got to tag <laughs> it. But 
So I don't know if you have ever seen these. I know you're not a visual. It's not a video podcast, but I'm just showing you this so that you can physically see it. It's a little notebook, but it's right. by a company called Rocketbook, right? Okay. And you mm-hmm. use you have like these erasable pens. I know you can get these in Europe too. These uh, pilot friction pens. Oh yes, and yeah, my children. To write like, yeah, in yeah. these notebooks, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, and anyway, you scan these and it goes directly into Evernote and it's searchable. Really. Oh my yes. goodness. Okay. And, oh, I'm going to have to rethink using Evernote. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's other tools. That's just particularly the one that I use, but mm. um, it's called Rocketbook and they have a bunch of different formats and I love them. I use them all through um, when I was doing my PhD, I would take my notes and, uh, you know, handwritten notes, which help actually with your cognition and memory to mm-hmm. do the handwritten notes rather than typing. And then I would do the scan and it, you know, it recognizes my handwriting and then I just, you know, put the tags in it, put it in the right folder and boom, it's done. And I mean, the, the beauty of that kind of fluidity of the technology where you're doing the manually, you know, you're, you're using the old school techniques, which I think we mm-hmm. all need to write more often. Cause I, I, I went through a period where I, I was doing everything from a keyboard and then I had to sign all these documents. And I was like, oh, my hand's getting so tired. <laughs> I was like, I forgot how to write. <laughs> and I realized that there was something that was really, um, it's quite powerful to actually use a pen and paper for, for cognition. And yeah, the- there is something that misses, I think, as I type. I don't know why. Or, and I have that thing with my children because one of them uses, she doesn't, she doesn't write particularly quickly. so. She uses word processing for a lot of things, but I wonder whether there's something in understanding that doesn't quite, yeah, um, yeah. connecting quite the same way as when you're doing it, you know, and, and perhaps drawing diagrams, particularly with your pen and thinking it through as I would and did. I remember when I was doing my, um, my MBA in Brussels and I used to get these, um, you know, the grid notebooks mm-hmm. that were like, you know, for graphing. Mm-hmm. And I, I would take all of my notes in those in, um, in pencil. Mm-hmm. And then when I was studying, I would write, I would rewrite the notes in pen and erase the pencil. And um, it was, it was more for just sort of redoing it in my brain. Mm-hmm. And people used to, people used to pay me for my notes because they were so good. <laughs> yeah. Because, but it was all, it was that process of just, you know, writing it once and then rewriting it Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. really cemented it in my brain. And I never had to study because it was like, I just, that was my studying. I didn't have to sit here and sort of memorize because of that. And and I think that's a really important skill for that a lot of our kids are missing out on. They're not Mm -hmm. doing handwritten, Mm -hmm. particularly in this last year. There's just not that handwritten piece no no everything's um, been online yeah yeah mm-hmm. and I think you know it's unfortunate and, and they're you know that's not to say they're not learning but it, they it can be easier for them and and every brain is different of course for some people um typing is perfectly fine but like you said with the word processing sometimes those tools can become a handicap that mm-hmm. we never learn how to do the grammar correctly or the spelling correctly if mm-hmm. it's constantly being corrected for us and um, 
And yeah. I mean, I love those tools because they are great when you're writing really fast, but then you also have to make sure you sometimes read over them because sometimes the correct, the autocorrect is not really yeah. what you meant. Oh, yeah. Or it interprets um, a word in the wrong way and suddenly the sentence doesn't make sense and you don't yeah, realize. And just yeah. if you're multilingual, it's a mess because I mean, mm -hmm. I often forget that my keyboard is in Swedish and I'll write something in English and then, and, or I think I'm writing in English and it's trying to autocorrect and figure out what I'm saying in Swedish. <laughs> and so it ends up this complete gobbledygook. I'm like, what was that? And and then I realized that's what it, that it was actually just yeah. the keyboard. I need to switch the keyboard back to English. So, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And just talking about kids and studying there, but one one topic that always comes up in relation to technology is kind of the amount of time kids spend on technology. And I know, you know part of the audience that will be listening to this are parents. They probably had this thought themselves. So what's your take on, you know, when technology is becoming addictive um, and perhaps what parents can do to encourage their kids to take time out, not spend quite so much time. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I said before, I think, you know, for me, and, and keep in mind when I refer to technology or addiction or digital addiction, it's really to the severe extreme. It's not mm -hmm. just like, Oh, you know, I want, I want my phone. I need my phone with me all the time. It's, it's like, it's a, it's a serious psychological uh, problem. Mm -hmm. And it it's, mm -hmm. has to do with your neurotransmitters firing incorrectly and all kinds of things. And it messes with your serotonin, very different thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but what, you know, kids are no different than adults in that it's important for them to have a conscious relationship with technology. So the best thing that you can do with them is like with any relationship, if they have a toxic friendship, it's the same thing. It's helping them recognize how that relationship is, is, uh, is affecting them. So mm -hmm. is it, you know, is, are there good, there's always some good sides and bad sides, you know, and some, and again, that pendulum, it can swing around. But I think the most important thing to do is to help them recognize their own behavior and that their own relationship with technology. And mm -hmm. so maybe that's doing a, you know, sort of a, 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 a um, you know, an elimination diet, help them, you know, you can do it together as a family, you can mm -hmm. sit down and, and sort of work around what are the best ways to create really some healthy boundaries. You know, it's easier said than done to say, okay, well, no phones at the dinner table and know this and know that. And, you know, you can't have phones in your bedroom. Yeah. Like that was ever going to happen after a pandemic. I mean, <laughs> reality is um, they're going to have phones in their bedrooms, mm -hmm. you know, but you need the the important thing is helping them recognize how that's impacting them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's giving them a chance to to practice have what happens when it's away and do and and recognizing when they have a physiological sort of response to that. Mm -hmm. And so it's really more about helping them know themselves, which is what mm -hmm. we do as parents, right? Mm -hmm. It's helping mm -hmm. our kids evolve as adults. And so it's not about sort of making rules that say, this is the only way to go. And, mm -hmm. and by the way, I mean, I'm Gen X, but, and I have Gen Z kids. Um, Gen X is the worst. It's not, <laughs> it, we're the worst because we're trying to both do things digitally and manually at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, the millennials do everything digitally and they don't know how to do anything manually. 
the, <laughs> the Gen Z kids are, are really, I mean, I find my kids are the ones that are saying, get off your phone. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, we have that at the table, definitely. It's often my husband who's the one that picks up his phone. And they're like, no phones. We do have a no phones at the table rule. And they're both very good at it. We're not so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I see my kids, they go out to dinner with their friends and they put the phones in the middle of the table. And if anybody pulls their phone up in the middle of the table without having a very valid excuse, like, you know, there may be something. That's really wrong. good, isn't it? That's that, brilliant. You know, that yeah. They mm. have to buy a round of drinks for everybody. <laughs> There's a little incentive. Um, fortunately, yeah. they're underage, so that round of drinks is not so <laughs> yeah, That, that yeah. will change yeah. in the next yeah. year. Anyway, <laughs> th- but the point is they're very aware of that and they're aware mm-hmm. of, um, you know, the time, the, the value of that, that mm-hmm. uh, what time that they have when they're together doing something, you know. Yeah. And yeah. sure, the, yeah. you know, they'll sit there and they'll, they'll do their TikToks and they'll do their, their Instagrams. But a lot of the time they're doing it together. You know, mm. it's, for mm. them, it's a very social thing. And I think for, uh, for those of us who uh, are not digital natives, but really learn technology later, it was, it's much more, you know, when you come into your phone and I say, come into your phone, it's like, there's like a bubble around you and the rest of the world is shut out mm. um, versus like, Oh, come check out this video with me. And you're sitting next to someone head to head. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is a very yeah. different way of engaging with the technology. No. And also I, I, mean, I noticed during you know, the lockdowns we've had, you know, the technology has been such a fantastic way of just connecting and sharing the experience with friends and, and they go and TikTok together and, you know, but it's fun and there's giggles and laughter and you know so often I'd walk past my kids bedrooms and they're they're on online schooling but they're also they've got on their iPads and friends and they're doing the work together well fine that's to say they're in a class and they're giggling and having fun together and that's just so important so um yeah I've really learned to see the positive in technology actually through the last year in a way that perhaps I hadn't appreciated before before I was more concerned about well you're on your phone so much time and really that shouldn't be can't be too good and actually they police it themselves you know they'll say they'll put like my youngest daughter gives me her phone at bedtime you know she'll come say come up at 9 9 30 and she hands over her phone to me just so that she doesn't spend half the night on her phone and uh, that's great we can certainly, as parents, there's certain things that we can do to help them in that process to build mm-hmm. that relationship. And, and, and I mean, it's like with all parts of their lives, it's really understanding how to teach them boundaries around mm-hmm. what's healthy. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also practicing what we preach, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. in our house, we try to have a docking station where all devices go at night. Does it always work? Not necessarily, but it's a conscious decision to not leave mm-hmm. it on the docking station, right? And mm-hmm. I find that, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, everybody in my family is pretty good about it. My, I, I would say my daughter is probably the least, but she's also the most extroverted. She needs that mm-hmm. constant interaction with her friends. Mm-hmm. So either they're mm-hmm. spending the night and they're up until 2 a.m. or they're on the phone until 2 a.m. It's really yeah. not going to make that difference, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it may mm-hmm. be through mm-hmm. a mediated tool, but they're going to be convert. They're going to be talking until two a.m. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the rest of the family, we, you know, we put our phones on the docking station, and we do that partially to to keep the electromagnetic frequencies out of the bedroom, right? Um, because mm-hmm. you sleep better without that. But 
not everybody is super sensitive to it. And that, again, that's knowing yourself and, and really getting a sense of, you know, what is, you know, what, what feels like healthy boundaries. Mm. And I, I, you know, I have, there's a fun chapter in the book that I was working with a friend of mine who's much more in the woo woo space. And we were sort of joking around because, um, you know, I was like, well, I need to go, I need to do this piece about consciousness and technology. And I was like, but, you know, and, and I really appreciate the woo woo side. I'm just not that woo woo. And so, but I have a lot of woo woo friends and, um, but I do believe very strongly in the importance of consciousness. And, and um, anyway, so we got into this whole conversation about treating technology as if it was a sentient being and, and really just understanding that, you know, if you look at that relationship and a more rather than object, but much more subject and, and that, that you, that you have more respect for each other, mm-hmm. then it comes a very different relationship. Yeah. And so it's really important. I think for all of us to, to really just occasionally step out of that comfort zone and really look at how are we engaging with it? And are there toxic triggers there? Mm-hmm. Um, are there, are there things that, that we're not doing that are, you know, that are not very kind to our technologies, right? It's not just about them being mean to us, right? Um, <laughs> it's a two way street. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's everything from like, do you, are you, do you have a good case for your phone? So it's not getting mm-hmm. damaged, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you turning mm-hmm. your devices off and giving them rest and giving yourself rest. All of those little pieces can actually have a huge impact on your relationship with technology. And it's about building those boundaries and being kind. And so, you know, we all could use a little bit of that, no matter whether it's with our technology or with other individuals. Yeah, yeah. No, and that that part of your book really did kind of touch a chord with me, though, because I'd never thought of thinking about technology in that way before. But it does make a lot of sense, a lot of sense. Um, And it... Yeah, I need to remember, remind myself to go back and <laughs> do the things that it prompted me to think about, but um, and update my computers definitely. That I do need to do. Um, but I'm conscious of time, and this has just been so fascinating. You've really sort of triggered a lot of thoughts for me around technology and and how we manage it and our relationship with it. I'm just wondering to, to to finish the conversation. In your book, at the end, you have a quote from Galil Gibran. I hope I've pronounced that name correctly. Where he says, there we are. Progress lies not in enhancing what is, but enhancing towards what will be. So I'm wondering, what are your predictions for the next 10 years? You know, if I were talking to you in 10 years time, how will technology have moved on? Um, Perhaps in terms of our relationship with technology. Well, I think it will become a lot more fluid and, um, I think that, you know, we're going through a fast growth period here. And I mean, not to say that it's going to slow down, but part of it is us catching up with being comfortable with that fast growth. And um, I think the mindset shift that a lot of us are need to continue to go through is not, you know, what if, but when, and Mm -hmm. to really start looking at things for, you know, instead of being afraid of sort of, you know, what if that happens, it's more just embracing, well, when that happens, this is what's going to be, you know, this is, this is what is possible. And uh, in an example, um, I've been in a lot of conversations recently about um, the sort of, you know, augmented reality, but more in the sense of, 
a mixed reality experience. So you and I are having this conversation over Zoom and we are on different continents, but it won't be long before we'll be able to have this conversation. And I'm gonna see you physically in the space that I'm in, in a 3D form and be able to have a conversation with you and feel as if you're right there. I'll be able to see your interactions and the way that you respond but it won't feel as if I'm speaking to a screen. It's gonna be mixed in with the environment that I'm in. And we'll see a lot more of that. And, and yeah. it sounds very sort of Star Trek and you know whatever, Star Wars, very science fiction, but the, the reality is that's where we're going to. And I'm really looking forward to that personally, mm -hmm. because it's like the, the technology right now that we have, for example, in our phones, that we can dictate and we can have it dictated back to us, which means we don't have to be craning our heads down to look at a screen anymore. Mm -hmm. We can be driving and still looking at the road. We can be having a conversation with someone else or engaging with the world and not have to look down at a screen because it may be either projected in our glasses or it may be something that we can you know, throw up a direction somewhere, but it keeps us from being limited by a small screen space, mm -hmm. but still able to engage with the content in a really real way. So I think yeah. we're gonna see more and more evolution in that way where we're not gonna be confined to the physical screens anymore. Mm -hmm. And I and I think that, you know, and, and things, you know, in in so many different ways, that's just one little piece, but in so many more ways, we're going to, this is just the infancy of what technology can do for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we'll be able to, for example, um, receive medical treatments through resonance, through, through sound. Mm -hmm. um, we're already seeing a lot of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of things that, you know, you'll be able to get remote treatment by getting resonance treatment. And that's obviously not for everything, but there are a lot of things that can be treated that way, uh, particularly in mental health. Mm -hmm. So, and which is a, a huge problem. And I think part of it is also that transparency where there's, when we, as people start to engage more with the technology and we've had a huge boost from this last year because mm -hmm. we've had to. Yeah, yeah. I look at my 80, my 82 year old mother is a master at Zoom. She goes to church on Zoom. She works out on Zoom. She, I mean, she's on Zoom. She takes art classes on Zoom. She's, she's on Zoom all day long. And she goes out and, and then she goes out and has a walk in the woods and, you know, she gets her nature and her fresh air. But before it was like, oh God, you know, I've got, you want me to FaceTime you? Okay. You know, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, you know she dictates yeah. everything in her, into her mm -hmm. phone and, you know, that level of comfort we're starting mm -hmm. to see from people that in the populations that we never thought would do it. No, no. And, mm -hmm. and so if we, if we can continue that boost of comfort, which, you know, will make rolling out new technologies and having new possibilities so much easier and better. So yeah. I think that's yeah. where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Exciting times. And I could go into a whole realm about working from home and 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 you know how technology is going to develop to support that but that's a conversation for a different day but that's something i've been really <laughs> interested in reading sure. reports about you know some of the things that some of the companies are doing with virtual reality and um headsets you know for people working at home but anyway that's another conversation time to bring this on to a close but if people would like to connect with you where can they go to learn more about you 
Sure. So um, my main landing space is uh, is to balance you. So that's the number two, the word balance, B-A-L-A-N-C-E, the letter U.com. Um, you can get to both of my podcasts from there. And uh, there's also a contact page. But if you're interested in the podcast, Evolving Digital Self is really fun. Uh, I've been interviewing people across different industries about their human relationship with technology and how it's changing the way we work and live. So there's some really fun, interesting conversations there. And then for your audience, I think you might also be interested in Global Nomad Hacks, where we talk about all the great hacks and that make living the expat lifestyle and raising global citizens uh, possible. So... Brilliant. Great. And as usual, I'll put links to those in the show notes and the blog post that goes out with this. So thank you so much for your time today. It has been really lovely. I've really enjoyed that. I've, um, you've expanded my, you know, my relationship and my whole thinking around technology through reading your book and then also this conversation. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening. There's so much content there for you to absorb. I wonder what your answers are to the questions I've posed in the show notes. If you'd like to access the show notes, you can go to thrivingabroad.com, episode 88. You'll see the questions there, but you can also register for the newsletter and I will send you the show notes from this episode. I really was encouraged to rethink my relationship with technology and I've been continuing to make changes and trying to keep up to date with all the updates on both computers and to just be a little bit more organised in how I interact with technology. I wonder about you. Come and tell us on the Facebook page, Thriving Abroad, what you have responded to, what changes you think you might make in your relationship with technology as a result of this conversation. So that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch with me, if you would like to share your experiences, as I discussed in the introduction, then you can do so through the contact form on the Thriving Broad website or email me, louise at louisewiles.com. I'd be delighted to hear from you. So wherever you are in the world, please take care, stay safe and well, and I will be back soon with the next instalment in the Thriving Abroad podcast. Bye-bye for now.